Welcome to Man Reads Monday. I am Aaron Ventura. He is Jacob Rush. Let's get to work. Jacob, what are we working through today? Today we are in chapter seven of Man of the House by C.R. Wiley. And we're moving into part three out of, I think there's four parts total in this book. Uh, and it's this part is called Household Polity. So we have just, if you kind of zoom out and try and frame where we've been, what we've done, um, I'll just get a table of contents so I don't actually say the wrong names of the chapter, but we started by talking about the framework of the house, like what actually builds up a household, we talked about covenants, we talked about, okay, what is the DNA mm -hmm. that is required to actually build this thing. Yeah. And we talked about the lat. we gave the example of the ladder metaphors and their power to give truth. And then we moved into household economics, which was part two, uh, which is kind of why they took us around the back door and said, okay, what is this thing for, mm -hmm. right? So when all is said and done, um, why are we even concerned with building a house? What does a household do? So we talked about productive property. We talked about help, relationships kind of within the household. And now we're moving into sort of um, the nitty gritty day to day. What are the, the means or the, the virtues even uh, to some degree required to um, actually get you to that end yeah uh, and so this is justice we'll talk about gravity and we'll talk about piety in this section as well yep so chapter seven is all about justice and there's lots of talk in our society right now about justice right and his thesis is that when it comes to household order might must serve right. He says this at the beginning, he says it at the end, and the example he gives is of when he was a little kid, he realized that, hey, I'm bigger and stronger than my my mom. <laughs> and uh, I think she tries to, to hit him. Um, he ducks, she hits the wall, she runs away in tears, and he says, I didn't cry, I didn't feel any sorrow, in fact, I smiled. <laughs> but there was someone that was going to come home and make everything right in the house and that's his dad so his dad's gonna come home and he says that you know my dad wasn't this great dad but that day he did the right thing might his his dad's superior strength uh reestablished household order mm. so that's kind of what this whole uh chapter is about it's how do you have order in a household and uh, he wants to argue that you need justice. And he gives other potential ways people might respond to that question, what should order a household? And you think, what about love, right? Love, or what about reason? Reason is a good thing. And he says, well, those things actually aren't sufficient. Have you ever seen a mother try to reason with a child throwing a temper tantrum in Walmart, mm -hmm. right? The child's screaming and you walk by and you're thinking, man, this kid needs a spanking. Mm -hmm. Although if you were to do that in Walmart, who knows, you might end up in jail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, but you can't reason with a child. Love doesn't help in that uh, in that time when the kid's saying, "Give me the gumball. I want the toy." Right. What needs to happen is swift justice, right. swift spanking to reestablish order and uh, you know remind the the child that he is not God. Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't get to uh, determine the. Um, the aroma of the home with mm. his stinky attitude that has to get cleaned up. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, it, I just think the relevance to this in, you know, if you, if you think about society as, again, built up 
of these households, sort of in micro, you know, the macrocosm of what the house is. Yeah. Um, it's no one, we can see the effects of this kind of attitude uh, and dismissal of the kind of justice he talks about here. Yeah. Right? What do we think the solution to, um, you know, uh, crime or sort of uh, um, these uh, social uh, problems that we have? It's, oh, well, we just need to understand them, right? Yeah. And, or if we could educate them or if we could empathize with them and really yeah. got into their perspective then that love right love is all you need yeah. and it would it would change their it would change their attitude uh, and the problem with that actually is just like a, a mom and dad with a rebellious kiddo um, people do whatever they want yeah. if there's no uh, structure there's no order there's no discipline then ultimately it comes down to well if you're not gonna make me Mm -hmm. then why would I have to? Yeah, this is the problem with kind of modern day atheistic social justice or even so-called Christian social justice that, yeah. um, you know, basically just borrows from the world is there is this assumption about man that he can be reformed by education and by laws. Hmm. And if anything, this is what Paul goes at length in his letter to the Romans and Galatians that the law cannot do anything but exacerbate and reveal sin. Hmm. The law cannot reform man. It's sin. So he says in Romans 7, the law is holy, righteous, and good. The law is a good thing. Righteous laws are a good thing, but they are insufficient without there being a spiritual change in man. And so he says, uh, I believe in Galatians, the law is given as um, kind of like a tutor. Yeah. It's to protect the seed until Christ comes. But Christ is the one that can actually give a new nature mm. to man. Now, in the world, when you have people sinning and uh, committing crimes, that is the place where justice shows up. So right. Paul will say, I believe in 1 Timothy, that the law is not given for righteous people. The law is yeah. given for evil doers, and that's what we forget. Justice is for those times when people aren't being, right. uh, when they aren't obeying the law. Yeah, and uh, he actually says at the beginning, if you don't have uh, uh, strength in the service of right, this is on page sixty-seven. He says people must resort to forms of psychological manipulation that or bribery to try to establish order. This is what you see in public schools who don't have corporal punishment. This is what you see with trying to turn uh, prisons into penitentiaries, yeah. is they're trying to reform people through some kind of psychological manipulation or even bribery. Okay, we'll give you this. Let's trade. Yeah, right? yeah. We'll make this trade as if sinful man can be reasoned with and reformed through hmm. uh, psychological manipulation or so-called love. Yeah. When actually the loving thing to do is uh, discipline. Hmm. So just as uh, the Proverbs say, what is bound up in the heart of a child it's not good intentions. It's not a desire for the common good of mankind. Mm. It's folly. Yeah. And so you see this, like you said, I think as well stated, that the household is this microcosm and society is the household in, right. you know, multiplied. It's the macrocosm. So you need justice out there. But it really has to start with justice in the home. Mm. And uh, he's going to talk about how uh, this household justice manifests itself. Where does it come from? And so the... Uh, he's going to talk a lot about authority and authorship. 
He's going to say that authority comes from being an author. Um, before I get into some of the quotes, do you want to uh, draw our attention to anything in this section on authorship? Mm. Yeah, so yeah, maybe even just jumping into that section when he's, he's trying to decide, okay, where does where do you actually root the definition of authority? And yeah. he brings attention to author. So when we think of authority, we don't typically make that connection. Yeah. Um, and his point is to say, well, what, where does that stem from? Well, if you made it, right, if you, if you authored it, if you were responsible for creating it, that gives you dominion over it. And yep. similar things to what we've already talked about. Yeah, there's this great quote on page 68. He says, authority is born when you bring something new into the world. And he goes on to talk about, uh, he says, even a bad author is the god of the world he has made. Uh, you may not want to live in his world, but unless his book is assigned reading, you can leave any time you'd like. Right. This is the funny thing for people living in God's world. <laughs> you, can't, you can't escape. So this world, this existence, you being created in the image of God is something you can't escape. <laughs> and so you can kick against the goads, denying your nature, denying the God who made you, <laughs> and try to construct your own little fantasy world. But ultimately, that's what Romans 1 is. You're suppressing the knowledge <laughs> of God. And it's only going to make you perpetually unhappy until you get in line, until you actually embrace what he's going to talk about later, the role that God has assigned to you. So, so God assigns our roles as father, husband, wife, mother, son, whatever. God gets to define those, but then we as fathers have a derivative authority from God to, to make sure those roles happen within the home and people are living in accord with it. So that's kind of the next section is uh, authors assign roles. He gives the example of a playwright. He says, you know, if people are wanting to just self-express themselves, it doesn't matter how much they love the story of Sound of Music or whatever story you tell them. Unless they, they actually play the roles that the playwright assigned to them, you're not actually going to have any play to watch. You're just have, having, you know, what is it called? Uh, uh, What's it called when they just freestyle act? Oh, uh, oh, um, improv. Improv, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, people are just improvising. They're creating, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, there can be good improv, but it takes a lot of skill. But right. you actually need to have people knowing their lines, knowing their roles to have a successful right. story and play being being told. So no, no yeah. improvisation no, here. <laughs> well, even the thing with improv that interesting as an example is the best improvers, improv guys, yeah. um, are really good authors. Yeah. Right? So they exert imaginative authority over their imaginary joke world that they're creating. Yeah. And they play their part well. Yep. As opposed to, it's sort of, um, well, uh, where is it in the Old the Testament? You know, if a bugle sounds indiscriminately, yeah. you know, oh, well, that's That's 1st That's 1st Corinthians, yeah. But if you, you, know, you play the war horn and nobody knows what they're doing, people are just running around. And you can see how these things are connected, that when you reject an author, right and when you question authority um you don't well in one sense you are rejecting a order but you're also creating your own kind yeah. of disorder yep. and if the god of your system is is evolution is sort of we evolved out of nothing and therefore we can sort of determine who we are we can self-identify as who we want then uh really civilized society 
falls apart mm -hmm. because there is no order, there is no injustice. Why is it any better for me to listen to your rules than it is for you to listen to mine? Yeah. So you can see the connections between, okay, you're rejecting justice, you're rejecting authority, mm -hmm. and then ultimately you're, you're rejecting the very uh, possibility of living together in a coherent way. Yeah. I like this idea of improvisation. It's not something I had in my notes, but it connects with this next section on craftsmanship and creativity. So to change the metaphor before we get into the one that he uses, uh, the people who can improv on an instrument, mm. let's say, are going to be the ones who actually know the rules of music, how scales work, how chords work, what goes together. And while there may be some geniuses who can just like pick up and play whatever, right. on the whole, in order to be able to just play whatever you want, <laughs> you need to know the rules first. And it's only those who have totally mastered those right. that can then do some really creative and interesting things. In a similar way, like yeah. you said, the best improver Improvers are the ones. That's no, no, I'm, no. Make, I'm making up a word. I'm improv. I'm improv actors. I don't know. Yeah, are the ones who actually, like you said, have that ability to exercise freedom, and and they are authoring uh, themselves. And so uh, he gets into the section on craftsmanship, and he says a good builder knows his materials. He knows what they're good for, and he puts their strength to good use, even as he hides their flaws. And I think about that as, as a father or maybe even as a manager in a company or uh, in ministry. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, where, 1 Corinthians 12, talking yeah. about the different gifts in the body. Somebody's the foot, somebody's the head. Yeah. Totally. So it's like we all, we all should be seeking to find out what are our gifts, what is the role that God wants me to play. Uh, I'm a member of the body, just like I'm a member in a household. And if I'm if I'm a foot or if I'm a I'm a big toe, but I'm trying to do things that the nose should do, mm. okay, I'm probably gonna screw it up. Right. Right. Um, any other thoughts about this craftsmanship section? I, I think that's I think that's <laughs> again I'm not a father, but. Uh, as a lot of sort of import for how you would manage your household and even for single guys as they're looking to pursue a wife and they're saying okay um, who am I like right what kind of person am I you know am I the hand am I the foot what are my skills and then looking for someone who can compliment you in those things yeah right and that's not to say well if you you know the same personality you know the people who are like oh well if you're very similar then you shouldn't be together or anything like that but the point is having that ability to say to recognize okay here's here is my role here's i'm this character in the story and and having that humility to know that you're this character and even if you may want to be this other character yeah and then and then seeing okay um what's a good fit and that takes you know, going back to the the metaphor of practicing, right? And um, with whether it's an instrument or whether it is like wood chop, you're learning how to build things. Um, you have to uh, become. Uh, you have to do the scales work. You have to practice. You know, do, re, yeah. mi, fa, over and over and over in order to actually play the symphony. And so that I think that applies here too with craftsmanship with learning how to see your own role in the story, well, you've got to go to God's word. And you've got to say, okay, well, how do I be a person? Yeah. Okay, T Ten Commandments. And learning how to bring that into practice in your life. And it's only after you do that, that you, again, kind of mature onto that ability to 
make those judgments elsewhere. Yeah, uh, we've talked about this before with Solomon says or with seeking to find a wife, but mission comes first, dominion comes before, work comes before wife because the task, uh, the work that you are doing is what actually gives meaning to the roles. So right. it's like, why should a woman follow you if you aren't going anywhere, right? right. Do, do you want her just, just to sit shotgun and look pretty or do you want her to get in so you guys can actually go somewhere? Yeah. And uh, as you get older and as uh, you are put in places of authority, whether you're a manager of a company, you need to, uh, you, a good manager is going to be someone who sees what what materials, what gifts, what people are really good at mm. and what they're not good at and tries to cover their faults and put them in places where they're going to be set up to succeed. And this is just a principle of love, right? We're seeking to yeah. uh, do our neighbor good by putting them in a place where they're going to be successful. And I like this kind of interplay he has here um, with this metaphor of building either with standardized two by four. So if you know anything about wood, so you know there's lumberjacks go cut down trees, and then those trees uh, get processed in, and, and they take out all the imperfections so that when you go to Home Depot or here, Moscow Building Supply, uh, you're looking for wood that is hopefully relatively straight, right, <clears throat> doesn't yeah. have these bends in it. But he says, imagine uh, when you had to hew timber or uh, if you ever ha have built a house, a cob house, which is much more handcrafted. Um, that's a whole different project, but there is some upside to it, he says. There's, you know, you have to use creativity. You have to listen, he says, to your materials to do them justice. Uh, and when you do that well, it creates a certain kind of charm, a certain kind of personality. So he says, you can either build a, a house with great efficiency using these very standardized two by fours, or you can build a house that has a lot of personality, charm, uh, but that requires a much higher level of craftsmanship. Mm. Uh, my, my mom, I think you've been out to their house before. Yeah. And you've seen uh, they maybe in, they have this bar with live edge wood and live edge wood uh, is such a expensive thing uh, yeah. to get but also takes so much skill mm -hmm. and you think how much better does it look with this kind of nice live edge it takes work to treat it you can see the bark some people will even like pour little kind of colors in it oh, cool. uh, there's all sorts of cool things you can do and it's so much more impressive than if it was just a two by four or a four right. by eight or, or whatever uh, flat across. Right. And so uh, we need mm. to know the time when we just need to, yeah, I just need some straight up two by fours mm -hmm. here, but I also want to have these kind of accent walls or I want to do something uh, special with this piece of wood. And then that takes uh, creativity. And when we talked about productive property, he said, what you need is imagination and capital. You need a good idea and capital. And this is one of those places where even within your home, you want to be able to use imagination. See, hmm. how could I use these materials? And in here, of course, the materials are people. Yeah. Right? So so be, be creative. Be imaginative. How can we unlock that in the people that we are, uh, God has given us authority over to kind of unlock that potential? Hmm. The other place that I see this, I've been watching this documentary on Netflix about Michael Jordan called The Last Dance. It's like this amazing, outstanding, uh, well-done documentary on Michael Jordan, who is this 
you know, one of the the greatest competitor, you know, that we kind of know know of. Mm. He won six championships, and this guy was just driven beyond all get out. And it's funny because they're interviewing his teammates, and so he's he's the alpha of the alphas on the court, right? He's the he invented the idea of the goat, right? right. The greatest of all time. Of and it's funny seeing these other players that I've never even heard of. You know, I was I was pretty young when Michael Jordan was playing. And they talk about, I knew uh, early on that I was just going to be a role player. And, and they just knew that, right? If Michael Jordan's on the court, he's the one who has the ability to, right. to do whatever he wants because he's the best. They adjust to him. They're yeah. like, all right, you're setting the pace. Exactly. And But when they find their roles, they find that, okay, they actually can do well. The team needs them, and they're contributing. And so in basketball, it's one of those places you know, are you just a rebounder right you, or you know not just a rebounder but you need to do that really well you let you work let michael jordan shoot the end of game jump shot but you are going to be the assist guy mm. you're going to be the passer or whatever mm. so uh, we actually do have categories for this if you've ever played a team sport whether it's baseball right. or football or, or basketball and thinking that way how can we as work together as a team but it mm. requires us staying in our lane, mm. knowing what our lane is, and excelling in that role. Yeah, and it even this conversation, it's funny how we're willing to grant this existence in things like professional sports. But as a whole society, we despise any sort of hierarchical conception of people are different than one another. Yeah. Like, that's the thing that we're trying to do the most is to flatten everything out. Well, you can do anything you set your mind to, or you're just as pretty as him, or you're just as smart as him, or you deserve as much as him. Yeah. And we're flattening out this actually very beautiful thing that God has done by making us all different. Yeah. Like, uh, seeing what is more glorious, like this well-oiled machine where everybody is in sync. Like, you, you've we've all watched the basketball game where the team is just in sync. Yeah. And they're going down the court and like the defense is like doing their job and then they spin shoot and it's like that is so much more uh, so much more a better picture words are hard <laughs> that is such a better picture than what if everybody was trying to yeah uh, you know you got robots <laughs> right yeah yeah and every it's a assembly line you can't even have a basketball game yeah. if everyone is the same yeah or no, nothing nothing to watch and this is what egalitarianism and what feminism is doing, it's, it's trying to standardize. It's not listening to the materials. Mm. Whereas, like, at least when they're uh, looking at, you know, a tree, you can you can run it through the grinder. You can use it for all these different things, and you right. have two by fours. But they're actually uh, what feminism is doing is actually trying to put like non trees into into two by fours. Right. Right. At least like men can be cogs in a machine and do that. But in, in a lot of workplace scenarios, you're trying to fit, you know, what is, what is the phrase? A square, square peg, peg and, a round a, hole. and a round hole or yeah. something like that. And that's what, that's the sad thing is it's stripping away mm. at the actual skills, gifts, special things that God has given to men and women. And then even amongst different kinds of women, different kinds of men and what they're, mm. they're really good at. Um, it, it goes on and he talks about, okay, how can we... Uh, kind of increase this ability to have functional authority. And he says, the best way to reinvent household headship with authority is by giving households something worthwhile to do. So this is that whole idea of productive property. And then he gives examples of that. And uh, what you must do, he says, is to keep people with you, to, to, for them to have a role and really excel in it, they need to have a vested interest. They need an abiding 
interest in that production. So what's the point? What incentivizes anybody to work really hard? Well, hopefully you're, you get a paycheck, right? Right. So in the household, we need to be thinking, how are our, uh, is our wife or our children or even one day our grandchildren mm. both contributing and benefiting from the productive property. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is where it takes creativity and we also want to give them some kind of interest. So the basic thing would be like, okay, if you mow the lawn, you get this, mm -hmm. right? And, and there's questions there about whether you would want to just say, this is you earning your three meals a day in the housing that we give you, or if you're wanting to give them something above and beyond that, right. but but that calls for wisdom and a time to say, all right, if you want your son to take over the family business, mm -hmm. well, incentivize him to do that, and mm -hmm. and don't just incentivize him to um, do the bare minimum as Karl mm -hmm. Marx wants to do, but you actually want to reward higher productivity, and this is kind of what drives innovation. This is what drives. Uh, the best sense of free market kind of capitalism, right? And I think this is kind of where we have so despised, again, it's um, this, I don't know what you would you would call it, um, a healthy sense of patriotism, you know, or, uh, or like household pride, mm -hmm. right? To be a rush, yeah. to be a Ventura, to, to actually be proud of your heritage, yeah. right? What, what have we said? You should be ashamed of your heritage. Yeah. You should be ashamed of your household, your father, your grandfather. Yep. Um, and what you're doing is you're, again, you're taking out the rug from underneath yeah. the household. You're dishonoring your father and mother. Yeah, first of all, <laughs> yeah. And, and you're making it, yeah, in terms of this conversation of interest, there's no, there's no, it's not worth it, right? Um, so I think that's, trying to learn how to cultivate again as a household especially as the the father the the pater familias of the house um you are responsible for cultivating that sort of sense of pride mm -hmm. in your house and here here are here is what we do here's who we are we're christians and you know and i'm a blacksmith right or you know and i'm a um i'm work, i'm in business and it doesn't mean your sons have to do the exact same thing you do but again you you want to cultivate um their sense of glory seeking in a positive way because yep. that's what they're built for. Yeah. So remind, uh, just to remind you of the thesis, the whole concept here is might must make right. And the question about how you assign roles and give equity and give rewards is the question of right. What, what is actually right? What is equitable? What is fair? And he says, uh, he gives the example of a tug of war. So say, um, I forget what the prize is. So he says, imagine there's a tug of war and the prize is $100,000 and this one team wins. And on that team, there's, you know, this 300 pound offensive lineman. And then there's this, you know, 100 pound woman and they're on the same team. He says, okay, should they split that $100,000 equally? They both get 50K or should right. it be apportioned by some other way? Right. Um, and, and Body so, mass, like yeah, by, division. Yeah. Right. And you think, okay, there needs to be set expectations. So maybe you told them ahead of time, all right, on the team, this is how we're gonna gonna split it. Mm -hmm. But let's say the other tug of war tug of war team comes along and recognizes they're only losing because the lineman's on the other team, and they say, We'll give you 70k. Mm -hmm. If you come to our side, right, and so this is now where 
the the person who's contributing more to winning or to producing right. is actually going to receive more. And everybody knows this, right? Everybody has a sense of justice and fairness. Mm. And that's what a wise mm. father manager needs to know how to do. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going to go somewhere else yeah. or they're going to resent and be bitter if they're in your household and they don't have a choice. Right. Well, essentially, you're you're de-incentivizing them from giving their best mm. effort. And he, he gives Karl Marx as an example. He says, Karl Mar Marx is infamous for sacrificing equity, what people rightly deserve, for the sake of equality. And this is what so many people cannot make a distinction between. They think equity and equality must be the same. Right. And, he, and here's his formula for how he does this. He says, from each according to his ability to each according to his need. Right, so, so we exact from each person according to his ability, and then whatever people need, that's how we distribute it. So this is how you flatten it. And he says, I hope you see the problem here. If equity is hard to administer, what can be done about need? Who defines need? We're back to where we started. But he says, this is just you know how things work in God's world, equity gets its revenge in the law of diminishing returns. If everyone is going to get the same thing in the end, eventually everyone will just make the same contribution. Translation, everyone will only put in as much as the least contributor. Hurrah, we're equal at last. So essentially, the kind of uh, critique of Marxism is that you just make everyone equally poor. Yeah. <laughs> Bummer. Um, it close, uh, the section closes with uh, a section on the sword, and he gives the example of uh, when he was at the birth of his children, cutting the umbilical cord. He was separating the child from the mother, and he says, Th this is a much bigger deal than I realized yeah. at the time, but the sword, uh, the ability to separate people, is how we can actually make righteous judgments. Mm. We need to be able to define where people start and when people end, right. and this idea of boundaries, fences, borders, walls, is what actually makes for healthy neighborly relations. So a fence, he says, it can make people selfish, you can hide behind it, but it also allows people to be generous because you actually have something to give. And what Marxism, what communism mm. seeks to do is remove all walls, boundaries, it right. seeks to make everyone the same, everything's shared in common. And what it does is it actually Mm. Uh, destroys the ability to give yeah because you you don't own anything as well, I really appreciated uh, your sermon was it this Sunday was it the Sunday before has it been yeah it was, Law it was of Kings last Sunday. wow yeah. it feels like it's been it's been a long week on warfare yes yeah um, not the Law of Kings yes you're right on warfare um, just even seeing some of these principles playing out in the scriptures right where these except these exemptions to the yeah. draft have to do with whether or not uh, these men, these young men have skin in the game, right? Whether or not these young men have a household to defend, a household to protect, a family to that's at, at risk here yep. in the battle. So you, and this isn't this isn't simply, you know, Wiley just kind of telling it how it is. Like, this is what God tells us. This is how God thinks as well. We'll close with that. Uh, Jacob, what should people do this week? Well, whatever they do this week, Aaron, they need to... Oh, no. Oh, no, what is it? They need to get wisdom. They need to build that house. Is that it? Is it just two? I think it's just two right oh, now. Oh, I think I confused myself. Well, whatever people do this week, <laughs> they need to get wisdom and build that house. Build that house. And uh, when we do finish this book, we are going to do C.S. Lewis, The Abolition of Man. So if you want to order that book, 
now in preparation for when we finish Man of the House. Do it. Until next time, peace. Peace.